The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. I, this is just my personality, I love adventure and adventures. Who's with me? Doesn't matter what type, doesn't matter where we're going, I'm up, I'm up for a good adventure. And this is, I would say, as a pastor, this is me leading us into an adventure. A nine-week sermon series. It's a long time, church, and it's going to be so good. I'm, I'm really excited. Ben is super excited. But I, I was reflecting on that this week, and nine weeks is a long time. And I, so I thought, you know, what, when was the last time that you went on an adventure? This could be as short as, you know, an afternoon hike, or as long as backpacking through Europe with some friends, or driving from Ontario to BC, or, or going camping with your family. When, talk about it just for a moment among, among you, and, and think about it in your own head. When was the last time you went on an adventure? I'm hearing some good chatter. I hope you're joining in if you're, if you're tuning in online too, because this is, this is important for this sermon. I think when we talk about adventures, I think there's two key questions that, you know, internally we always answer when we think about an adventure, okay? Two questions are, where are we going? And how are we going to get there? Those are very, very important questions to, an- to ask when you're, when you're going on an adventure. And so I want you to return to your family or the group of people around you or yourself, and I want you to think ahead. I want you to plan an adventure. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? And how do you want to get there? Okay, take another few moments and plan your next adventure. I think I may have just helped you decide what you're doing after church, right? Uh, wouldn't it be kind of cool if, if some of you actually did the adventures that you're scheming uh, just here in these few moments? That'd be kind of neat. Take a, if you do that, you know, take a picture of it. Put it on the church Facebook page or send, send me an email. It'd be kind of cool to see what, what you all came up with in, in a few moments. But now I want to just broaden the conversation a little bit. Because this morning we're going to be talking on, about adventure— But not just any adventure, an adventure that we call life. Because whether we recognize it or not, each one of us is on a capital A adventure through life. Helen Keller is quoted often by saying, Life is either a great adventure or it's nothing. And I think she's right. I think we have to see life as an adventure. Now, that doesn't mean that it's all sunshine and rainbows and exciting all the time. Adventure often has its highs and lows, 
It's joys and sorrows. And for some of us right now, you know, life may be something that is just very freeing and you're excited about what's ahead and you've got some things planned for this summer. And for others of us, it, it may feel like, you know, we're kind of pulling ourselves through the mud puddle in the middle of the night, being chased by wolves without any food. As Christians, though, I think we can also ask this question about our life of faith. Because we are, we are on an adventure, but we're not ever on an adventure alone. We're always on an adventure with Jesus. And in our lives of faith, and this is where I want to zoom in for the rest of this morning, where are we going? Where are we going? As a Christian, what is our destination in life? Now, if you immediately called to mind in your head the answer heaven, I want to give you an A-plus for that Sunday school answer. But also challenge you, because I don't think that's quite right. Now, I do believe in heaven as a pastor. Don't freak out. And I believe that that is our ultimate reality, that we will all eventually be united with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. But I think as followers of Jesus, we can do a better job of articulating where we are actually going. Where we, what is our destination as Christians? The Bible scholar N.T. Wright helpfully points this out to us when he talks about Jesus' resurrection. And he says this, he says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project. Not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. And I think that gets at the heart of why heaven is not necessarily the best way to think about our destination as Christians. Because in God's project, that we often call God's kingdom, We pray it in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. And so heaven is just as much coming into us as we will eventually all be in heaven. And so when we think about this, it changes the way that we think about our destination. No longer is it necessarily a place. It is a reality. A reality that is coming to life in us right here right now and jesus himself talked like this in john's gospel he says to his disciples truly i tell you whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life has it's a present reality for those who know jesus so if we haven't already uh, if we have already received heaven in, in part of its fullness here it's not necessarily helpful to think of it as our destination. So now let's go back to that question, where are we going? Where are we going on the adventure of life? I think Alistair Stern, and he's the author of the book that we'll be working through for the next nine weeks called Rhythms for Life, he's he's helpful in pointing out what our destination is. He says this, he says, we are all on a journey of becoming. Each one of us is on a journey of becoming. Becoming more like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And I think that's just so helpful for us when we think about the adventure of life. We are all as individuals on a journey of becoming more like Christ each and every day through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this runs right along the same track that Paul is on when he urges the Colossians to think about Christ-likeness. He says to them, and um, this was read for us earlier, but I just want to zoom in on verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you have already received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So for Paul, living with Jesus in our lives is an active thing. It's an active uh, 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 life. Remember, he points out to the Colossians they have already received Christ Jesus, but he urges them to continue to live their lives in him. And what's so fascinating is when I was doing some reading this week that that Greek word in our Bibles that's translated as live is the same word for walk. And so we could render this verse a different way, and we could say, you know, just as you have already received Christ Jesus, continue to walk him. Eugene Peterson gets at this when he translates the Bible in his version of, uh, called The Message. He says, of this verse, he says, quit studying this subject and start living him. Notice how it's not really the, the right English construction, right? There's no, not living like him, not living more as he would have us live. Start living him. It's Jesus coming to reality in our lives, and it's, it's, that's our destination. It's for Jesus to come to life in us, in our unique and beautiful and challenging and tragic and grief-filled and joy-filled and happiness-filled and exhausting adventures of life. Our destination is to walk with him every day and to become more like him every day. You know, growing up, uh, my family had one of those tracing pads. I don't know if you've seen those before where they, you know, they have like, it's like a little clipboard with a light underneath it. And you can put a template down and then a piece of paper on top. And then you can clearly see how to trace the object. This is kind of getting at what we're, what we're, called to do as as believers in Christ in, in the adventure of life is to begin to trace Jesus onto our lives. Not as a copy, though. God is not content with mere copies. He made us as unique image bearers to reflect him in different ways, the way that God created us to be. You know that saying, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Right? Often people have challenged that and said, what a better rendering of that would be is actually, what would Jesus do if he were me? And that's what I'm getting at here, is that our destination is to live Christ with our own unique personalities and giftings and identity. It's unique. This is what Paul is urging the Colossians to do. And it's also a guarantee for them. That those who love Jesus, Paul says in another spot in in one of his letters, that God who began a good work in you, he will see it through. He will finish the job. You will reach the destination. This is so much more hopeful than our modern idea of self. So fascinated by this. 
how the gospel just gives us such a, a, a richer idea of hope for ourselves. It's not even like a self-help because it's rooted in humility because we can't do it on our own. But it's, it's this idea of self that, that is so much more hopeful than anything that our modern identity can give us because what often in our, in our modern culture, it tells us that you are what you can become. What you can do, it's on you. You know, you've got to become a certain type of person. You've got to work hard at it. And if you fail, then whose fault is it? You know, it's either your fault or we try to blame systems and structures and politics and government and socioeconomic status. But the gospel transcends that and gives us a hope that no matter where you find yourself in life, the destination of Christ's likeness is a reality for you. It's so cool. But what about the second point? How do we get there? If the destination for a Christian is Christ-likeness, then how do we get there? Do we just hop into a car and drive there? I don't know if it works like that. If you have a car like that, I'd love to hear about it. Because I think it would make it so much easier. You know, so how do we get to Christ-likeness? I think Paul gives us some good starting points here. He says, continue to live your lives rooted and built up in him. Ask yourself the question, where are you rooted? Where are you rooted? What roots you? You know, it sounds strange to be on an adventure of life and root yourself in one thing, but this is of critical importance. You know, one of the images for our uh, sermon series, and sorry to throw this on you, Ian, but can you get a picture of the vine over here? Um, one of the er images for this sermon series is, is a vine, which, which will be growing throughout this nine weeks. Hopefully it'll be a lot taller than it is right now. But a vine begins with a root. It's always rooted in the fertile soil that causes it to grow. Sure, a plant needs, you know, it needs sunlight, and we've actually got a grow light for this thing, and it needs fertilizer, and it needs water, and it needs all sorts of TLC, but it needs to be consistently rooted in the right thing. It needs roots. And that root keeps the plant growing strong, even if it, you know, if it doesn't have sun for a little bit. Or if it doesn't have water for a little bit, the roots will enable it to draw the nutrients that it needs from the soil. We can only become more like Christ. Thanks, Ian. Uh, we can only become more like Christ if we root in him. The problem is that we constantly root in the wrong things. You know, when, it, when Tracy and I go on long trips— I'm often the last one to, to rely on a GPS. In my um, manly, um, I don't know what, to, what word to use. In my manliness, I hate to use a GPS. I like to think that I can get there on my own. I don't need something to start talking to me to tell me where to turn. And I can do it myself. I can figure it out. And I often— 100% uh, of the time, get myself lost. 
Some of us approach our life like this, even our life with Christ. You can, we, we can think, you know, like, okay, yeah, sure, Jesus is important, but really, like, I can do this myself. I don't, I don't, I don't need help. And, and I, can, I can get there on my own. This Christ-likeness thing, I can just work hard enough to do it. I can put it in the right rhythms and spiritual practices, and I can pray enough, and, and I, can, I can muster up enough holiness in my life to be able to package it up and present it to God and say, look, I'm Christ-like. And that's rooting it not in Christ and the finished work on the cross, but that's rooting it in what we can do, in our own abilities. On the flip side, we can also find ourselves rooted in Christ and not growing. Notice how Paul says, root yourself in him and be built up, meaning there's a direction towards growth in Christ. And some of us, we can, you know, we can key in the address and the GPS. We can say, I cannot get there without this GPS. And we can sit in the car and we can forget to drive. And I'm not talking about those self-driving cars. We can forget that we have to actually move ourselves towards the destination of Christ-likeness. It's not just about rooting ourselves in Christ. It's about letting his life come to life in us. And that means we have to change. And we have to work at it. And we have to let ourselves be challenged and convicted. And we have to confess things. And we have to grow. The great reformer wisely put it like this. We are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. The the gospel of Jesus will always come with a changed life. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we also forget that the same Jesus who extended radical grace to those that he met, he also, in the Sermon on the Mount, took God's law and upped the ante on it. He increased its requirements. See, in our journeys of faith, we often get, find ourselves on one side of the spectrum or the other. We either put too much emphasis on what we can do in our own morality, or we think that it doesn't actually matter how we live because we're saved by grace alone. But Paul wisely and helpfully gives us an antidote. Rooted and built up, overflowing with thankfulness. And I think that thankfulness snaps us out and calls us back to the gospel, which is not that we can do it ourselves, but that we are always called to grow. And it's through thankfulness in the cross that these two come together. Why thankfulness? Well, the, the Greek word, it's, it's pretty powerful. It's, it's the Greek word called that, that eucharista. And that should ring a bell for us as this whole year we've been in this vital worship grant uh, talking about Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, the table, the time where we come together as God's people to remember and reflect and to be nourished by the bread and the cup, the body and blood of Christ 
we hear those words, do this in remembrance of me. And we know that this is a meal that changes us and transforms us and points us to Christ. Eucharist, but it's all thanksgiving. It's thankfulness. And that's where it has its root. Being thankful for, for the cross and reflecting on the significance of the cross in our lives moves us away from our personal morality and away from complacency into the gospel. Which is that we are more sinful than we have ever dared hope. We need to change so, so bad. But at the same time, we are more loved than we could ever imagine that Christ will never abandon us. See, on the cross, as Jesus hung there, he looked down and he saw us. And he didn't think to us, or he didn't think to himself when he was hanging there, I don't really need to give myself to these people. They can do it themselves. They've got enough strength to become like me. They've got enough strength to become the people that God intended them to be. No, he saw people who needed him to go and hang on the cross, who needed a savior, who needed an emergency valve for their sin because they couldn't do it by themselves. And in the same way, he didn't look down at the cross and see people who didn't need to change. When Jesus looked down at the cross, he saw his followers, his own followers, denying him, abandoning him, acting selfishly, betraying him. He saw people who desperately needed to change. And so he stayed. In the greatest act of love in the history of the world, Jesus stayed. And he prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. As one pastor I read this week put it, he said, Jesus loved us on the cross, not because we were lovely to him, but to make us lovely to make us Christ-like. That's why Christ went to the cross. He emptied himself so that you can be transformed. And if this is how far Christ went for you, if this is how deep he loves you, doesn't that shock you out of trying to do it yourself? Doesn't that take the pressure off having to do it yourself? He's done it for you. He went there and he stayed. And at the same time, he died for you not because you were lovely already. He died to make you lovely. He died to make you the person that you could only dream of being. This is what makes the gospel unlike anything else in our world. It humbles us out of thinking we can do it ourselves, and it moves us towards transformation. And so I want to invite you on this now eight-week journey as we, as we begin to uh, wrap up this sermon. This eight-week journey, we're, we're going to dive into talking about rhythms for life, which is it's a, it's a time where we're going we're gonna to talk about who the person God made you to be is and then what things we can do to help that person come to life. It's all about drawing near to God. It's all about putting in place rhythms and habits that help us to be attentive to his presence in our lives that's here and now. It's all about, as, as N.T. Wright had said, the life of heaven coming into our lives. We need this.
we all need this. And so I want to challenge you to take the time in this series and do the reflection that it takes. The intentionality of asking yourself, am I growing in Christ? If I'm not, why not? What's going on? What's getting in the way? We are being built up, and we will become who Christ has called us to be. It's a promise, and so we can, we can stake our lives in it, and we can trust him that he will see us through. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you stayed on the cross, that we could be saved from ourselves, and that we could be transformed into the people that you intend us to be. Father, this is a, a long and, um, and sometimes difficult, painful process. Lord, and as we, as we make this journey together um, through this next eight weeks, I pray that you would give us the, uh, the courage and the strength to, to really ask the hard questions about our lives and our lives of faith. The questions that we're all, um, you know, each one of us has things that we're afraid to, to places where we're afraid to go, things we're afraid to ask to explore. And so I pray that you'd give us the boldness that we need, the courage. Lord, also help us to do this as a community. Um, give us the ways that we can uh, draw near together, and, and as we come out of this pandemic and are able to do more in the same room together, I pray that you'd give us space where we're able to, to live life together again. Lord, I, I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.